Welcome to the Satellite and New Space Matters podcast, a series of interviews with key leaders throughout the industry, all brought to you by the Satellite and New Space team at NUCO, a specialist global recruitment and executive search firm. Welcome to the Satellite and New Space Matters podcast. Your host today are myself, Andrew Bull, uh, and we're joined by Katia Schmieding, and we are both consultants within NUCO's Satellite and New Space team. And today, we're delighted to be joined by our guest, Andrew Fiola, who is a commercial VP at Astroscale. So Andrew has more than 20 years experience within sales and business development across the satellite and space industries, and has worked with some of the biggest names in the market, including SES, Intelsat, NewTek, SD Engineering iDirect, and Allspace. Andrew joined Astroscale in 2023, where he leads their commercial sales, business development, and marketing activities, as the company makes their push towards providing a variety of in-orbit services and look to bring the ever-important issue of orbital debris and mitigation to the forefront of the industry. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Hey, thank you very much for having me. Pleasure is all ours. Um, so today we'll be talking to Andrew about himself, his background. We'll touch a little bit about talent in the industry, but most importantly, we'll be picking his brains on all things space sustainability and in-space situational awareness. But to get us started, we love to ask all of our guests the very same thing. How did you get into the space industry? That is a uh, that is a great question, one for the ages. But um, I, I would say, growing up in the Washington D.C. area, I, I just by by hook or by crook wound up having family friends of my parents who uh, worked in various parts of the uh, satellite industry, in particular at Intelsat, many many years ago. Um, but never really thought about it as uh, that's where I'm going to make a career. Um, it was really only during grad school that I wound up uh, having an internship at NASA that 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 really sort of lit the spark, I think, uh, as it were. And then also during that period was the um, the Intelsat 603 reboost mission. By, by the space shuttle, uh, if anybody remembers that, um, STS-49. And and I think everything sort of came together at the, at the right time. And I knew that this was the direction that I wanted to go and then sort of worked on finding a finding a way in. I'm, I'm always amazed by the number of people that we speak to who, who kind of describe their journey into the industry as almost falling into it. Um, and I think it's always really interesting for people who aren't necessarily in the industry <clears throat> to think of it like that. You know, when you think space and satellite, you must have a very direct, clear path of how you want to get into it. But I'm always amazed at the various sort of, you know, sideways and kind of traversing trajectories people have had. Um, and, you know, uh, again, we always hear it's a, an awful lot of who you know, not necessarily what you know. You have someone who kind of, is in the industry sideways to it. You see what they're doing, you get really interested. And it's not until you start doing it that you think, yeah, th this is for me. So uh, good to hear another similar story. Yeah, I mean, just to sort of follow on that, I mean, I really was a sideways entrance. I uh, was at another internship <laughs> during grad school at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in their Latin American Studies program when I met... Uh, a gentleman named Lou Bransford, who was doing consulting for the first generation of Leo constellations and 
on the side also running a small satellite teleport and we struck up a a, a friendship and and that's he's the one that gave me my first job but it was originally you know latin american politics and economics um you know such such a, you know such the winding road that 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 we lead you could have had a very very different story to tell had uh, had the parts been slightly different then um well look, nice segue um into i suppose our first kind of real question in earnest and let's stick with the past for for just a little bit um you've obviously mentioned someone who's had an impact on on your career but kind of who or what would you say has perhaps had the biggest influence on your career in the industry gosh um i mean there's been a number of people throughout my professional life that uh, I, I I would consider to have had uh, a, a big influence or, or, or been mentors in, in one way or another. But honestly, I think that the biggest initial impact is probably from my dad, who uh, was a, is a, a, a electronics engineer by, by training, um, but uh, particularly from for some folks who, who know me as well, he, he, he's been an avid ham radio operator for 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 decades um and got got me convinced uh, convinced me to get my amateur radio license at uh, one point when i was a when i was a teenager um there were there there were bribes involved in the in, <laughs> in, in doing that but but it was really sort of through that experience, sort of seeing what he did in his work that that was focused around telecommunications, um, and at the time, you know, even you know, having him teach me how to solder, right? I, I mean, I'm not an engineer by background, um, by far, um, but those sort of little uh, experiences when I was growing up in in his ham radio shack. You know, I think really had an impact on me, and uh, you know, had to go somewhere in telecommunications, and uh, he, you know, the the idea of sort of sitting down there, uh, you know, in an, on an evening or 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 in the morning, and have it and listening to him communicate with people all over the world uh, via uh, ham radio, I think that that kind of thing really was was fascinating to me. I've got to ask: Have you still got a, a ham radio yourself? Is it still something that you will sit down on a weekend to <laughs> speak to people on the other side of the world with? I I have a valid license, um, but let's <laughs> let's say that I have not actively participated in 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 some time. I was going to ask you what your call sign was, but uh, maybe maybe that's a question for another day then. <laughs> well, N three GLA, if you really want to know. There we go. <laughs> Perfect. So, uh, staying in the past, just for one final question, um, we've obviously mentioned you know you've worked for some of the, the biggest, most recognisable names in that sort of traditional incumbent satcom comsat sort of industry um, before, kind of obviously moving into to the new space world with with uh, with Astroscale. Um, you've obviously kind of completed a lot of, uh, you know, successful programs and missions in the past, but is there any sort of particular achievement that you are particularly proud of? Well, I mean, sometimes it's actually some of the worst experiences that, that you wind up, um, being, being most proud of, um, worst experience is probably not, not the right word, but, but I can recall, 
um, you know, there was a particular time uh, at at Intelsat where where Intelsat had a a satellite failure, and you know, we all know that these things do occur. Um, unfortunate when when they do, um, but but that particular satellite failure was. Um, impacted quite a number of of the customers in in my region when 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 I was there, and we had a bit of uh, a bit of forewarning on that. But I think the the way that the company responded to its customers and the way we worked uh, as as a team to relocate customers, try to minimize disruption. I mean was was enormous and you know you would think that okay we've got an outage a satellite has failed you're gonna have customers screaming at you you know what have you done we actually got thank you notes after the fact because of the way we we managed what was what was an awful awful situation for our customers and their end users um and you know that I mean, I, I I basically just manned the phone and sort of made sure people were watered and fed when when the team was actually doing doing the grunt work. But um, you know, being able to sort of participate in in that and help help in that situation, um, I'm you know really really proud of how the team that that I was working with managed with our you know to sort of make our customers whole and minimize disruption for them work with the customers very proud of that even though it was sort of a dark moment um <laughs> but but in hindsight you know you could take take some good lessons from that it sounds like it could have been a, a dark moment but the uh resilience in the face of adversity that the team was able to show is uh obviously what what got you guys through so um look, uh, but i totally agree i think in a, a catastrophic situation like that, actually being able to come out of it positively on the other side is an achievement you should definitely be proud of. Um, so we, we've touched a little bit on the past. Let's move on into the, the kind of the now and what will come. Um, so Katia, over to you. Yeah, thank you, Andrew and Andrew. Um, <laughs> uh, as Andrew mentioned, you've kind of recently transitioned away from the really big traditional space uh, companies into more of the new space industry. Um, so we wanted to ask, what are you most excited about happening right now in what's considered the new space industry? Well, there's still, even despite uh, COVID and uh, the the financial environment, there's still a lot of investment happening in, in new space. Um, there's also a lot of intellectual investment going on in new space there, or whatever we want to call new space. Um, particularly in our part of the world when we talk about in-orbit servicing and, and and things like that we and and others are actually not only sort of developing technology we're, we're developing entire new markets and and market segments and and for me this is this is really really interesting because okay, it's one thing to have a product and, and to sort of have established that there are people that might want to consume your product and there's a market for that. But no one's ever done this before, right? There, there, 
aren't legal frameworks in place, right? No one's ever written a contract where two commercial spacecraft mate, you know, rendezvous together. Um, you know, no one's built pricing models for this kind of thing. There's not an insurance framework really available yet. The, the legal sort of uh, regulatory framework doesn't yet exist. So, you know, we like to pick the easy problems and solve those. Amazing. Um, yeah, I, I have never thought about framing new space as sort of new markets within space. I think that's a really cool way of looking at it and really true as well. Um, okay, fantastic. So moving on then to sort of the future, um, what are you most excited to see happen in the industry in the next sort of three to five years? Where do you see the industry going? There are so many new applications being developed for space. I mean, what we're doing at Astroscale is is just one. I think it's I think it's an incredibly important one because without an ability to clear the orbital highway, then there's a very you know, there's very high chances of, of, of collisions that could actually impact the ability of others to execute on their business plans, right? So we need to make sure that that infrastructure is in place. But if you look at the things that people are working on from in-orbit uh, manufacturing of of uh, materials, but also of things like pharmaceuticals, space solar power, um, everything, the types of applications that are now being sort of layered on to Earth observation spacecraft of, of of different types, it's it's really just amazing how this this whole area is is blossoming with with possibility. So uh, for me, just sort of being part of that, watching these things take place, and one of the things that we always try to focus on is, okay, it's great. We're looking up high and, uh, you know, looking at, at the stars, but ultimately it's being able to tell those stories about how what we're doing actually impacts people on the ground and, and, and building that public awareness about how, you, you know, you might not realize it, but, but actually space is embedded in like every part of your life. Um, you know, from, from, you know, agriculture to, to other kinds of IT technology. So, um, yeah, it's, it's great to be in the middle of that and, and see how this is all really, really taking shape. Amazing. Um, I have to admit, having only been in the industry a couple of years, I had no idea the ways in which space impacted everybody's lives. Um, and I think it's something that people were still starting to learn and in the future, it, everyone will know it, um, which is really cool. Really cool. Um, so you've touched on it ever so slightly, um, but I will hand over now to Andrew to cover the topic that matters. So Andrew, we, we couldn't have you on the podcast without focusing at least a portion of the conversation on debris, um, what needs to be done by the industry, um, not only to kind of deal with the current situation, but also to look at any future mitigation on, on any risks that, that might be posed. Um, and I just want to um, commend you. I read your uh, read your recent blog, um, likening a Royal Blood concert to uh, what's happening up in Leo. Um, I'll be honest. When I first started reading it, I assumed there was going to be a very tenuous link. Um, <laughs> I was glad that I was proved very very wrong. Um, and to anyone currently listening to the podcast, if you haven't checked out 
uh, Andrew's kind of blog post on that, I would thoroughly recommend doing so. Um, but before we delve kind of a little bit more into that in detail, one thing we wanted to start off asking is, why do you think it's taken so long as an industry um, to kind of do something about debris and, and kind of future mitigation? And I suppose as a slight addendum to, to that question, do you think it's purely been because of the proliferation of platforms launched into Leo in recent years? Or do you think that that's just sped up what might have taken a slightly longer time to have kind of been brought to the forefront? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, first of all, thank you for the the plug for the for the blog post and, uh, you know, for you guys being based in Brighton, I guess, you know, it's really good that uh, since we're from there as well. Yeah, <laughs> hometown heroes, so very good. Um, I think that the proliferation of, of spacecraft in orbit has accelerated the let's say the identification that something needs to be done. Um, you know, obviously, you know, the, we, I think most people are familiar with the Kessler effect, right? The Kessler effect was coined, I don't know how many years ago. Um, we can all, we can all Google that, but, um, you know, it was a, you know, it was identified space debris was identified as an issue a long time ago, but now things are accelerating very quickly. The other, Part of it is, as well, technology and the ability to deal with it is starting to catch up. You know, five years ago, ten years, ten years ago, when Astroscale was founded, there, there was, you know, our founder Nobu Okada had identified that there was going to be an issue, but there wasn't even then the technology to deal with it in a cost-effective way. So because of this burgeoning space economy we've all been talking about and the numbers of 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 companies that are doing different things in this space right the pace of technology uh and innovation is is accelerating as well so it's enabling us to address to start addressing an issue that wasn't even was recognized but wasn't even able to be addressed you know just just a couple of years ago and I, I suppose it was a, a slightly pointed question, um, <laughs> but kind of completely agree. You know, it's it is obviously something that has been in the industry kind of uh, mindset for a while, but but hadn't necessarily sort of spread out. Um, you know, from people very much in tune with with what's happening to you know the wider public kind of zeitgeist, I, I suppose. Um, but we've certainly seen that, you know, there is that correlation between the growth of private investment coming into the industry, the growth of new space, more things going into Leo, the space industry becoming a little bit more of a, of a sort of publicly known that, you know, there seems to be a lot more um, interest in, in these kind of programs. Um, and, you know, Astroscale are obviously working closely towards uh, towards your own solutions for that. We obviously realise that Elsa M um everyone's sort of working all hands to the pump to the launch of, of that which will be of course the first commercial active debris removal program um and we understand that customers um are already signed up for, for, for that program which is you know fantastic news um but um adding some water to the wine i suppose and wanted to hear your thoughts on it um we wanted to kind of ask what do you think is the kind of viability of the long-term market for, for these missions, you know, beyond perhaps the next decade or so? And do you believe that, you know, operators 
will start to develop their own end-of-life systems for, for constellations. Yeah, good one. I, I, I think it's interesting. We we mostly get asked about the short term, um, in fact, rather <laughs> rather than the long term. Um, you know, longer term, the uh, the environment is going to get more and more crowded. Um, what what we want to do is is both what we you know we want to we want to mitigate risk by removing large uh, large dangerous objects and then uh, you know to ensure that we're not creating more small debris or that the industry is not creating more more small debris. Um, and and I think over time in the long term, it, there is going to be a view towards okay, what technologies are going to help start to remove the smaller pieces of debris as well. But I I look at all of these things as sort of stepping stones to that in orbit space economy that every that everybody talks about. I mean, you know, Astroscale today is focusing on how do we remove debris from orbit, but what we're really good at is rendezvous and proximity operations, right? So, uh, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, you know, we're looking at, you know, more and more private industry in space, whether it's human space flight or manufacturing or, or whatnot. Those vehicles are all going to have to coexist together. They're going to have to be, um, you know, flying and, and, and rendezvousing and being serviced and manufacturing being done in space and then sort of leaping onto, you know, the cislunar environment, right? Nobody wants to launch tons and tons of stuff from the ground because no matter how cheap Starship gets when it, when it gets there, you're, you're still launching tons and tons of stuff from the ground. Can you not start to repurpose things that are already in orbit and then you know how do we get to that circular economy in orbit right rather than just deorbiting things you know at least that's a step forward but yeah what comes after that so you know we are looking at it in in astroscale as you know a step-by-step process to get to a point where you know we are part of that in orbit circular economy and I think that's, for me anyway, that's what's really interesting about Astroscale as a business because all of the things that you need to develop in terms of you know, IP and software algorithms and hardware that will enable you to rendezvous you know, and hold close proximity in spacecraft, but also to, you know, to de-orbit some of these platforms. The applications for that technology beyond just mitigating debris and, and, and SSA are huge. You know, the the pinpoint kind of guidance, navigation, and control systems, for example, that I imagine Astroscale has to develop to to do what you're doing currently, all the applications kind of for the future and beyond with that kind of, you know, just those intellectual property that the business owns, the applications will, 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 I'm sure, just just kind of grow. And it'll be really interesting to see, you know, where that in-space infrastructure and on-orbit servicing kind of market further develops. Um, but touching back just on debris again for, for, for one small moment, um, one of the things I think is, is very obvious is that legislation has fallen very far behind 
in, in, in our industry. And actually calling it legislation is, is probably slightly unfair. Um, everything's been under the guise of treaties, um, you know, opt-in, opt-out sort of um, agreements rather than real legislation. Um, but from your kind of perspective within AstroScale, what more needs to be done? And I guess more importantly, by whom do you think it needs to be led by industry, um, who, let's be honest, some parts of the industry might be reluctant for it to be overly legislated because of some of the cost factors. Um, or do you think it needs to be led by by governments, by perhaps environmental lobbies? Kind of, Where do you think the pressure needs to come from for, for real change to be enacted? It, it needs to come from a number of places, actually, all, all, all at the same time. And we, I, I mentioned earlier uh, uh, about uh, raising public awareness. Um, public awareness is key to 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 pressure legislators to actually enact laws. Um, right? Industry can can only do so much, right? It needs to come. It needs to come from both ends. I think. You know, Astroscale in particular, as well as others, have have done a extremely good job uh, influencing policy over over the past years to the to the point where you know it is now recognized that that the the orbital environment has a pollution problem, um, and that needs to be sorted out, uh, preferably before we have you know another tragedy of the commons, but this time in space. That's identified, but now, like you say, what what's the next step to actual sort of legislation or regulation or 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 you know both? Um, and I historically, personally, would have come from, let's say, the standpoint of, ooh, more more regulation is bad, right? Let the market sort it out. But in the time that I've been here, I've actually realized in in what we're trying to do having the right regulatory framework in place that that places the right incentives for behavior rather than rather than penalties is is actually going to catalyze investment and and innovation right we need that foundation in order to make a success of it because as as i said earlier right this is a brand new market that that we're that we're trying to to develop without having public awareness without having the right regulatory and legislative framework in place it's hard it's hard to make it work and we've seen you know we've seen this before in other comments right whether it's cod fisheries in the north atlantic or uh you know or the amazon rainforest everyone sort of knows that they should behave better uh, or things will go bad. But until the right framework's in place that incentivizes the right behavior, people are, you know, acting in their own self-interest and, and in a commons and, you know, low earth orbit in particular is, is a global commons. Uh, we need to sort of look at it like that. And, and so, yeah. And then to your point, you know, is it national governments? Is it Inter intergovernmental organizations probably everybody has a has a part to play in this you know i i you know you guys know my background in in sort of communications for mobility right in flight connectivity maritime and there's organizations like the imo and ical that that do put in place rules of the road 
that that people have to ad, adhere to. Um, but there's also national legislation as well. So I think it probably is going to be a combination of, of, of all of those at the, at the end of the day, but we're, we're early doors on this really. And I, t I totally agree. And I guess again, you a little bit of a pointed question. That was the answer I was hoping for, you know, all of the above ideally needs to be working, you know, not necessarily in concert, but everyone needs to be applying a pressure from, from their own side. And um, one final question just for this bit, and this is more, I think, you know, asking your personal opinion rather than, than anything else. Um, but, you know, we always hear that one of the biggest issues, of course, in debris in Leo is that kind of sub 10 centimeter debris that can't currently be tracked on Earth. Um, but from, from your perspective, what do you think is, is more important developing the capabilities to be able to track that very small, you know, minute size of debris, either from, you know, from terra firma or on orbit, or do you think actually clearing that debris um, and just completely removing it from the environment is, is going to be more important and more worthy of the industry's time? Well, I think that, again, I'll sit on the fence and say it's 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 pro probably probably a combination of both. I mean, the first thing that we want to do is prevent the creation of more of that small debris, um, and then obviously having the situational awareness so that it, which is a part of not creating more debris, having the situational awareness of being able to. Uh, track those those smaller bits, um, and and you know the 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 technology is improving on the ground, uh, both both uh, from an RF and an optical standpoint. But also um, you look at companies that are developing uh, in space, uh, you know, in 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 space situational uh, in situ space situational awareness, where um, you know they will have uh, you know spacecraft that are able to. Uh, you know, image parts of parts of orbit in in much greater uh, detail than than can be done uh, on the ground. I mean, this is actually something that 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 Astroscale is 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 doing as well. We're going to have a fleet of Elsa M spacecraft uh, going around servicing uh, servicing uh, satellites that are that are no longer active. Well, it's also actually not a bad idea to have. Uh, perhaps uh, ours or someone else's SSA payload on those spacecraft uh, to do some of those things that can't yet be done from the ground. Then, okay, then it's about, once we know that, I think, you know, we're, we're actually starting to, to do some work around, you know, what is the opportunity cost of, of all these collision avoidance maneuvers, right? And there is a real opportunity cost of doing uh, you know, however many collision avoidance maneuvers in terms of uh, the uh, life life of the spacecraft from a uh, propellant budget standpoint, which would tend to mean try to start removing some of that stuff. But that's something that that people are working on as well. But that's a that's a really tricky task in and of itself. Um, not even to mention if you, if you have identified some of that small uh, debris. Um, who does it belong to and do you even have the right to collect it and i, I guess that's something that i i hadn't even thought about <clears throat> excuse me where does the ownership comes from where do the rights you know where do the rights and 
not just obligations, uh, you know, but actually kind of legal rights around it. Um, that's an interesting perspective that I hadn't thought about. And I'll be honest, I'd love to pick your brains on that even more, but move on. I'm afraid we must. Um, and we'll move on to uh, a portion of the podcast, which is, of course, very, very close to our hearts. And, and that's a little bit more around people uh, in, in, in the industry. So Katia, over to you. Thanks, Andrew. Um, and Andrew, thank you for your incredible insights. I don't think I've ever thought that much about not just space debris, but everything surrounding space debris as well, um, which, yeah, blew my mind a little bit. Um, but moving on then to diversity, um, as we've discussed, you've been in the industry a little while, you know, started very much in the traditional space. Um, so I imagine you've seen a huge amount of change since then. Um, so how have you seen things improve from a diversity perspective? <laughs> it's terrible, but like when I first started, everyone looked like me. Um, and, and thank God that's changed. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. I, I, I am definitely in, in, in Astro scale. I feel like one of, you know, I feel like one of the old guys, um, which yeah, which can be a bit depressing at times, but but it's also actually invigorating as as well to sort of see you know the next uh, generations of uh, of really super talented people coming through. Um, you know, I think you know, and it isn't just about gender and 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 race and things like that. I think you know we still have a challenge in terms of okay, space industry is always going to be a heavily engineering oriented profession and we don't have enough women uh people of color coming through stem uh roots into into the uh, into the industry and something that 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 we try to focus on um we actually launched uh, just this year our first grad scheme so in in october we we uh had 13 grads join us uh for for the next two years now and i mean that has been just tremendous and it's actually uh, if i if i remember correctly like a pretty equal mix in terms of uh men and women um but uh yeah you know even you know at the grassroots you know the 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 percentages of of people are still uh you know skewed and 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 it makes hiring very, very challenging when you are trying to create a very diverse environment. So, you know, we're looking at it from, yeah, real grassroots. Grad scheme has been just amazing for us. Um, but even below that, right, how do we encourage people into STEM, uh, STEM subjects? And then, you know, for me, being a non-engineer, um, you know, I was really interested in the UK Space Agency's Space for All um uh um you know program that that they were running sort of over the first part of this year um because it's important that people know that you don't necessarily need to have an engineering degree to have a job in the space industry right we all have the need for lawyers and hr specialists and marketing geniuses and if you are passionate about space you can get a job in space no matter what your background is 
but you, you know, if you don't know that it's there, then how do you know to pursue it? So um, that is another sort of key factor for me. And, you know, whether, I don't know how many young kids are going to be watching, you know, the NUCO podcast, but, you know, this is, this is a message that I want to, you know, continually put out, right? You, if, you know, you need to, you know, you need to see it to be it basically. And how do we, you know, get the word out that, that space is, well, it's a fascinating environment. And if you are interested and passionate, no matter what you study, no matter what your background, there can be a place for you if that's the direction you want to go. Incredible. Um, yeah, it, it's really encouraging to see so many of those initiatives targeting people at a much younger age to kind of encourage them to think about their careers. You know, maybe a little bit earlier, if I knew that I could get a job in space, I probably would have chosen a very different path. I'm glad I've fallen into it anyway. Um, <laughs> no, absolutely fantastic. And I imagine the grads aren't helping you with you feeling like one of the oldest. <laughs> oh, I mean, but they they are literally young enough to be my kids now. Um, <laughs> but but it's 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 super cool. I mean, I I am loving it, and uh, yeah, they're so talented. It's 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 really amazing. Incredible. Um, yes, I I can agree more, and with such fresh perspectives too. Um, I think that's really going to help us shape the industry for the future. Um, so moving on then, uh, our listeners are a little bit busy and so am I. So we love to hear more about the man behind the career. Um, so we'll start off with what I hope is an easy question. Uh, what would be your perfect weekend? Oh, gosh. Um, probably uh, a, a dry weekend, at uh, dry in terms of weather. Um <laughs> In, in Glastonbury, perhaps in the in, at the end of June, uh, would probably be a, a perfect weekend, and uh, uh, you know, with uh, with some some good friends and uh, some good music, and uh, I think that would be uh, yeah, that 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 pretty much sums it up. And and I've been fortunate enough to have a couple of those over the years, but uh, looking forward to more. Incredible. Um, have you are you getting tickets today? Uh, I believe today is actually the day. Um. um I have a, I have a, a friend who, uh, who, who, who typically tries for these things. We've he's he's not been successful over the past couple of years, but uh, yeah, it's a it's a struggle. But uh, because it's so hard, I I have sort of found a couple of other uh, interesting festivals <laughs> that take place around you know summertime um, and. Uh, yeah, it's forced me to look further afield, and there's some fantastic uh, other, other, other festivals during the summer and in other places, you know, besides this godforsaken island. <laughs> well, I have to get your recommendations. I've never been successful with Glastonbury, but oh, maybe this year we'll find out soon. <laughs> Very right, good. Yeah, uh, Andrew, for the quick fire round. Yeah. So thank you, Katia. Um, so Andrew, no clues here. You want you to think on your feet. The first answer that, that pops into your brain um, is the one that we're looking for. Some of them you'll have a choice. Some of them we just need the answer. Um, so we start off with hopefully a nice easy one to break you in. Are you an early bird or a night owl? That's an, yeah, that is an easy one. I am not an early bird. <laughs> Man after my own heart there, uh, <laughs> which makes it all the more difficult with kids, but I might do. Um, 
remote mountain getaway or a beach holiday? Remote remote mountain getaway, for sure. Any particular recommendations? Uh, well, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the American Southwest, so sort of uh, Zion National Park would probably be my nirvana as far as that goes. Um, plane travel or train travel? Well, that is a great question, and um, unfortunately, I, I, I do quite a lot of plane travel, but I am trying to do train travel where and when I can. Um, I mean, it makes so much more sense if the, if it, if it works. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'd encourage that. I'm with you on that. But be, pragma be pragmatic is what I say, but uh, if you can do it, do it. Absolutely. Um, what is your go-to karaoke song? Oh, it's been a while, while since I did. I don't uh, believe that. I don't believe karaoke. that. Karaoke. Uh, it's 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 true. I I don't know if I even have a a, a go to karaoke song. Um, it it would, it would probably be, uh, gosh, I don't even know. Probably be something by, uh, you know, either Barry Manilow or Guns N' Roses. I don't know. Flip a coin. I I mean, they are some very different acts there um well yeah like probably depends probably depends on the crowd <laughs> i'm just i'm just imagining the uh kind of the full seven minute version of november rain yeah no no is yeah that if you want to <laughs> only if you want to clear the room <laughs> um so next question if you could only eat one meal for the rest of your life what would it be Ooh. And you have variations on that one meal. Well, it depends on how, uh, look, mm. we'll leave it to your discretion. Well, I, I think it's probably going to be pizza. Um, not, not, uh, not Hawaiian pizza, but, uh, invented by a Canadian, but, uh, you know, it is, it is super versatile and, uh, yeah, done, done right. It is sublime. Would would you believe that actually me and Katia had a very, very similar conversation to this not that long ago, where we actually came to the conclusion that pizza might be one of the most versatile foods that you can have. You can have it savory, you can have it sweet, you can have, you know, with cheese, without cheese, different sauces, deep crust, thin crust. Uh, anyway, I can go. Yeah, look, you know, and I think, pizza. I think, you know, I think we include calzone in the, uh, in the, Absolutely. in the pizza family. So that, that, that counts as well. So, and if know. we're including calzone, we also have to include the uh, pizza fritters that that you'll sometimes get in in Italy with the folded over and and uh, um, fried pizzas as well. Like, so you know, slap a bit of Nutella on there, and you've got a dessert. And yeah, eat there it. you go. Most perfect. Um, second, second question, similar to to that in terms of foods, home cooked food or a Michelin style restaurant. Ooh, it's gotta be, gotta be both. My, my wife is a, is a fabulous cook, but, um, you know, having, having just recommended the bear to Laurie and, uh, gotten, gotten through that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do like, uh, I do like a star at a restaurant. I can't, can't lie about that. Well, nice segue into slightly sideways question. 
um your halloween costume was 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 that was that the bear theme um yes i had to uh had to add the uh, ectoplasm punch to that but uh yeah it, it's it's sort of what you put together when uh you you remember that you've got a uh, fancy dress party in the evening and haven't really done anything for that yet but uh Yes, so thanks to the bear for that. I just hope the ectoplasm punch wasn't also spiked. Um, no, no, it was not. <laughs> There's nobody sleeping in the room. <laughs> um, so we're coming down to the last few questions now. Um, Favourite space-themed film? That is a really good question. Um notice that I'm speaking very slowly so I can think about that. Yeah. Um, favorite space themed film? Probably Aliens. So the second one. Aliens? Okay. Yeah. I think that one that one does it for it ticks all the boxes. I I agree. A little bit less of the, the kind of the horror suspense but it's got the added comedy definitely a little bit more of the action incredibly uh, brilliant script very well acted I, I i agree with you on that one um so down to the last few now coffee or tea coffee good man i think i know the answer to the next one live theater or a concert be a concert for sure although uh, i do i do like uh, live theater as well i think you can't beat live whatever it is too right uh, and last question and when we always like to ask people uh in 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 the industry um probably the most divisive question we will ask anyone on this podcast so uh, be prepared musk or bezos oh gosh <laughs> now I'll, I'll, i was gonna say i'll preface this with you can say neither if you so choose <laughs> um yeah, well, I mean, I'd like to say I'd like to say neither, but that sort of leaves leaves people hanging. I guess I don't know. It's just because we hear less of him, probably Bezos. That's that's better. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll we'll leave the question of that. So uh, that was the, that was the end of the quick fire round. Um, we are now moving on to the final question of the podcast. Um, Katia, back to you. Thanks, Andrew. Um, so anybody that listens to this regularly will know the question that's coming up. Um, so it will always be the same. What one piece of advice would you give to somebody entering the satellite in the space industry? I'd say, and we've touched on it a little bit here, this is a really fascinating industry to be part of. There's lots of opportunities you just really need to be interested in it and 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 be ambitious i've found in my own career and maybe maybe it applies to other industries maybe not but there have always been people that have been super willing to help out to provide opportunities to provide guidance i think in this industry because it attracts so many people who are not only just in the industry because they work in the industry, but because they're enthusiastic and passionate about what they do, they want to impart that on others. 
And it's really just sort of seeking out those people that you can gain uh, advice from, guidance from, and, you know, just grab on when those opportunities come. Um, that would be would be my advice because, again, it is a vibrant uh, industry, even now more so than, than, than when I started out. And I think, you know, it is just about putting yourself out there um, building up your own sort of personal network and, you know, and using that to uh, sponge up as much knowledge as you can um, until you have a chance to start giving it out to other people as well. It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it is a great industry for that. So yeah, the first piece of advice would be like, you chose the right industry. Now, now, now take advantage of it. Perfect. And I couldn't agree with you more. And I think, you know, de definitely pertinent in our industry, but hopefully advice that, that people can use, um, not just in, in the space, the satellite industry. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for your time today. It's been fascinating to hear all your thoughts, get your insight, uh, pick your brains a little bit, and also learn a bit more about the kind of the man behind the, <laughs> the man behind the job title. Um, so Andrew, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show today. Uh, thank you guys. It's been really enjoyable. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, please do subscribe and give us a rating. It really helps these stories to be found and enjoyed by more people. For more information about NUCO, we can be found at www.nuco-group.com. That's N-E-U-C-O-group.com.